Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hi, welcome back to the Radiate Podcast. And today we're going to radiate energy. We're radiating a journey with my friend Dave Witcher. Hello. Hi there who is uh, an energy healer, but who has one of the most diverse, winding, crazy stories I think I've heard in this community in quite some time. (laughs) Unfortunately so. (laughs) Unfortunately so. Okay, so Dave, you are currently an energy healer. Yes. All right, and you currently see clients to reset their chakras, clear their energy field, do emotional healing, energetic healing, that type of thing. But you've not always done that. No, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) What did you start with? What did I start with? Well, how far back would you like me to go? Well, as far back as you want to. You've had quite an interesting journey to get here. Yeah, it's been a very long winding path. Yeah, what makes what it makes me think of is that a Grateful Dead song, "What a Long Strange Trip It's Been." Yeah, that's perfect, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so I guess you know what what comes to mind when you ask me that is that scene in The Jerk with Steve Martin. <laughs> love you know, that, that. <laughs> so like the younger the like a lot of the younger generation just don't get that movie, and I think it's yeah. because you know we the world has changed so much that you don't kind of understand the irony of that movie um, unless you grew up in that time. Um, but uh, he's sitting on the curb, and they're asking him, you know, like, who he is. And he's like, he's like, who, me? And he's all downtrodden and, and just homeless and everything. And he says, he says, I was born a poor black child, which is funny because he's obviously not a black <laughs> child, right? Uh, and so I feel like when you ask me my beginnings, I feel like saying I was born a highly sensitive, empathic boy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And back in the, you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, those two things just didn't go together. You know, being highly sensitive, empathic, and a boy. Um, You know, boys were supposed to be, you know, rough and tumble and all that kind of good stuff. Oh, yeah. And And you were not. No, yeah. Fortunately, I was born in a body that was very rough and tumble and big, and I looked like a football player and all that kind of stuff. And so that afforded me some leeway. Uh, but I still very much so got the, the the message that you know this is not what this is not what boys and men are supposed to be. Um, so 
I tried my best uh, to sort of fit in that pathway. You know, I played football in high school, even though, really? you know, um, I really just, you know, I sort of had a passing interest in it. Um, I was the guy that just really didn't care that much about sports. Um, was, you know, far more interested in um, cooking than I was. In, in playing football. I love to cook. Really? Oh, yeah. I've been a cook, you know. I cooked my first egg when I was four years old. <laughs> my my babysitter, great. bless her heart, she got a little step stool for me, got me up to, you know, the stove, taught me how to turn the gas on, make sure it was lit, you know, put the little piece of butter in there, and then crack the egg, and, you know, I was sitting there with my little spatula waiting to, you know, turn my egg and stuff, and so... <laughs> Thank God nobody ever thought about safety back then. Um, <laughs> I know. I was just thinking, would I have let my daughter do that at four years old? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a great experience. Um, but so after high school, continuing on, you know, I I joined the army. Yeah, you were in the army. That yeah. was interesting. And I joined as an um, um, airborne ranger, which you have to volunteer like three times just to get to that point. Yeah, it's kind of elite, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things that's so dangerous that the, the military, even if they um, draft you into the military, like they won't draft you into Airborne and they won't draft you into to the Rangers. So you have to just continue to volunteer to get to that point. Wow. Um, well, I keep thinking of that song. I want to be an Air Force Ranger. I want to live the life of danger. Yeah, yeah. That does not seem like you. Yeah, well, you know, there's a part of me that's that, but um, I often joke that uh, I'm probably the most sensitive, trained killer that's ever come out of the <laughs> army. <laughs> you kill him very gently. <laughs> you know, I, I mean it when I say this is going to hurt me more than I hurt you. you know? Oh, absolutely. But, but no, fortunately, I was in the military at a point in time where um, we were not in conflict. Yes. Um, unlike today, where there's just... We have troops everywhere, um, you know, mainly in Afghanistan and Iraq, but certainly those aren't the only two Mm-mm. areas of conflict. And, you know, I just, uh, having been in the military for three years and knowing what, what, you know, everyone who goes in the military has this idea of service, that they, oh this deep sense of service, that they want to serve their country, they want to serve, you know, their countrymen mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's not because they want to go in and um, harm other people. It's because they want to serve and protect. Uh, and and so, you know, it not only does my heart go out to all the service men and women who have been in conflict and have been in the wars and have suffered greatly because of that, but it just it it like literally hurts me when I think about that because. I've been on that side, and I understand, you know, why they were there. And I feel, I personally feel that they were used very um, unjudiciously, you know, that, that we really mm-hmm. didn't need to be in those in those war zones and that it wasn't serving the best interest of our country. And it was, um, you know, it, it was putting them in, in danger and ruining their lives for not a good purpose, Um but nevertheless, that's not their choice. Their choice is to to volunteer to serve and protect our country, and so that's why we've always got to, um, you know, honor 
their choice to go into the military mm -hmm. and, and support them when they come out because the government right. does not support them. Not fully, no. 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 Yeah. Not yeah. in a very real way. Not in a very good way at all. Um, but so I was in the military for three years, realized that that was not my calling. Um, mm -hmm. That was not where I was meant to be. And so... Just to reiterate, you did get into it out of a sense of service? Yeah, very much so. You know, um, it's not only, gosh, this could be really interesting and I can really, you know, uh, get into that masculine side of myself, but very, a very deep sense of um, patriotism and service to my country, you know. Mm -hmm. um, not at all realizing at that point in time when you're that young um, how politics works and, and things like that. So right. that's sort of the bigger picture of what's going on in the world. Right. But certainly it was a crash course in that. You do, you know, uh, I think a lot of people come out of the military. They go into the military with really good intentions and they come mm -hmm. out with a sense of um, betrayal and delusion, dis disillusionment uh, mm -hmm. of where they thought, well, wow, our our government really doesn't work the way we thought it worked. Kind of I can thing. see that. Mm -hmm. I can see that, yeah. And sense of um, being used, perhaps, or mm -hmm. just not really... Um, yeah, I can see where it would be disillusioning, very much. Or not being used in the appropriate way. Sure. Right? Absolutely. So you were three years in the military, and where did you go? Uh, well, I was... So for half of that time, I was in the U.S., uh, in various, you know, places, various different um, army forts in the U.S. And then for the last half of it, I was in Korea. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there from uh, 87 through um, just caught the, the Olympics. So I was there for most of the Olympics in 88. Oh, how fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, well. <laughs> not for me. I was, okay. I was up on the demilitarized zone. Um, Okay. Uh, because the North Koreans at that time were very upset that they basically weren't really yeah. going to get to participate right. uh, in the Olympics. And um, so we were we were doing a lot of patrolling along the border. Um, there were some North Koreans that were coming, you know, that were going to be allowed to come across uh, the line and, and protest and march and that kind of thing. And that was being allowed, but it was a very tense situation. Mm, um, yeah. And so... Uh, it wasn't it wasn't all fun and games for me, but uh, fortunately um, everything went off well and um, I came home in one piece. And that's always good. Yeah, yeah. That's always a bonus, right? Right. Well, and you had some extensive training and different things. You came out with a lot more knowledge about the world. Yeah, I did. It was very eye opening. I really am thankful that I had that time in Korea. It was the first time I'd left our country. Wow. I got to. Um, participate in a culture that was extremely different from the United States. Yes. Um, I got to see how people do things like radically differently. And it really yeah. opened my mind up to, oh, you know, there, there are, are other equally good ways of being in the world. Yes. I think travel, international travel should be required of all people in America. We yeah. get so focused on just the way that we do things mm -hmm. and even just traveling to another city and visiting with another culture in another city is very helpful. You just see mm -hmm. different ways of reacting to things, different ways of thinking and being. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And did you pick up any Korean? 
a little bit. I learned a little bit of Korean. Um, you know, I could order my own food in Korean. And speaking of the food, I fell in love with Korean food while I was there. Yeah, it's good. I ate it almost exclusively, even though we, we actually had very good chefs in my little tiny base that I was yeah. on. I was in a very small base that only had one company, about 144 men. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we were very close to the border, and uh, but we had we were blessed with having some really good chefs uh, who were amazing. And um, uh, but there was a small Korean cafe on the base, and I just fell in love with the Korean food. And I was kind of crying when I came home because coming back to Kansas City, Missouri at that time, right in the late eighties, there it was difficult to find Korean food, and then. Uh-huh. Shortly after I came home, I went to college in Columbia, and that was like non-existent there. So yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. So then, okay, so you came back from the army, and then went to Columbia, Missouri, for college. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, went. You, mm-hmm. I um, I call it my brief period of sanity. <laughs> <laughs> so I went from doing my military stuff, and uh, I went into college, and. Um, Initially, I had gone in to do studies in computer science. Yeah. And then one night, I had a nightmare about being uh, um, stuck. And it was this giant skyscraper. And I was working for this corporation, right? Uh-huh. But, but interestingly enough, as tall as the building was, it also had e- an equal number of basement floors. And I was stuck in like the 40th basement floor of this building writing accounting software for a corporation. Oh my god, that sounds soul-sucking. Yes, and I woke up the next day and I immediately went and changed my major. (laughs) (laughs) Wise choice! Sounds like office space. Yeah, yeah. It was office space before office space came out. But um, So I changed my major. I ended up with a double major in philosophy and psychology. That is interesting. With a double minor in cultural anthropology and German language. <laughs> that actually sounds really awesome. <laughs> it was great. I loved, you know, I was one of those kids who barely made it through primary school. Like yeah. barely graduated high school. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, I was the same. And then you get to college, and college is amazing. It's, yeah, If it's, everything uh, could have been college, I right, would have loved it. Right. Right. You get to study the things that you that truly interest you. Right. You may There's have to take of, a class or two that you don't really care about, yeah, but... And you're accountable for your time and all that kind of stuff. So you get to work at your own pace and rhythm. Yeah, um, yeah it was some of the best years of my life. And mm-hmm. as part of my German minor, I did a study abroad over in Germany, which was the second foreign country I got to live in. And oh, that's amazing. Just another amazing experience. Um, I consider it my home away from home in Europe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, why German? You know, I think it was a reaction. Well, so here's what I thought at the time. I thought, well, everybody takes Spanish and French. And uh, I just don't want to do the popular thing. Right? Always the rebel. Yeah. So I took German. And then I thought, well, it also works well because a lot of philosophers are German philosophers. Sure. There was a lot of archaeological work that was done by, you know, Germans and all that kind of stuff. But sort of now that I'm in the field of study that I'm in now, I look back 
And one of the really surprising things that happened to me was right before I went to uh, my study abroad in Germany, my dad told me, he said, I always wanted to go study German in Switzerland and mm-hmm. college. Yeah. And I never knew that about him. And, wow. And another thing that I kind of never really noticed was he had a lot of books. He's one of those dads that had just way too many bookshelves. Right. Wasn't your books. dad a psychologist? He was also a psychologist, and he had all these books on German language, like German vocabulary, See? German grammar, all this yeah. stuff. And so now that I look back, I say, well, at that point I thought, wow, genetics. But now I look back uh-huh. and I say, soul patterning. You know, there like, you go. It's soul patterning from the parents that that you get and the patterns that you're trying to work on. And, you know, I have sort of inadvertently been, you know, following that path line from my father mm-hmm. and trying to, I don't know, complete that work, whatever that work is. Yeah. Well, what, yeah. What does your dad think of what you're doing now? Well, he, so he passed in December. Oh, that's right. I'm so yeah. sorry. Oh, that's all right. Um, and, you know, he was a really interesting character, and I think, you know, very similar to my experience that I've had in that he has always been very out there on the forefront mm-hmm. of things. And yet there were, there were aspects of being out on the forefront that were just completely blocked to him mm-hmm. for some reason or another. And mm-hmm. I kind of look at my life and see how I have been the same way. Um, you know, so often in my life, I have been drawn to um, spirituality and esoteric right. um, subjects. And I would just immediately, you know, I, w- I would bring it in and then something inside of me would say, no, 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 no. And I would push it away. Mm-hmm. And I see that same thing in my dad. And he thought it was interesting, but wasn't, you know, quite sure. And yet he was working with... Um, you know, family system theories by, you know, by Bowman and... Yeah, what did he specialize in? Um, he really specialized in... Um, well, he really specialized in working with people that just had incredibly deep wounding. So people that... Oh, okay. um, they were rape survivors, incest survivors, wow. people who committed incest, uh, people who had... Um, drug, drug and alcohol addictions. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, people that, um, were violence offenders. I mean, he just worked with the most wounded mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And, uh, and he, you know, he, when he would go see a movie, he would never go see any kind of movie that had a lot of negative energy around it. He always wanted to go see the really happy, positive movies. <laughs> And the, the more, same way, yeah. yeah, the more I learned yeah. about his work, the more I realized, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's why. Because he's dealing with, you know, yeah. he's got enough reality in his work. Absolutely. Um, but he, he was really on the forefront of a lot of those, you know, like family systems theories mm-hmm. and how memory can get passed on through genetics and, you know, in, Absolutely. you know, those M fields and things like that. And yet yeah. there were still, when I was telling him about my energy work and that sort of stuff. He just was kind of like, mm, you know, he was interested, but, you know, he wasn't quite sure what was going on with all of that. And, right. uh, so it, I just, I, 
I find it so interesting how people in this line of work can be so far out front and yet there's a part of themselves that still wants to push back. How do you mean? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure uh, what I mean about that or how it happens or where it occurs or why because, you know, I, I struggle with that myself. That there's a part of me that um, there's a part of me that's just so um, gung ho and deep into this. This being the energy work, energy the work, spirituality, spiritual work, the what people would call metaphysics or the right. supernatural. Of course, what we're starting to learn more and more it's is natural. It's natural. It's super natural. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, exactly. It's, it's not outside of the natural. It's it's. It is all, the only it natural. Is the natural right? <laughs> uh, and I don't know if that's just the sort of training and indoctrination that we got, um, the fact that we're um, very sensitive and tend to pick up on the social mm-hmm. expectations and norms and try and fit within that. Um, if it's part of you know our soul history that you know that we're remembering the uh, kind of how we've been persecuted for those kinds of, or punished for those kinds yeah, of beliefs I've in the past. Yeah, I've seen that a lot in my work. You know, uh-huh. probably like a combination of all of those things, mm-hmm. um, where there's this uh, deep knowingness of, yeah, this is this is this is right, right, and real, and what's going on, versus a sort of superficial, no, 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 no let's not, let's not go there. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's keep it keep it safe, keep it secret, you know, kind of a thing, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> and there's a whole spectrum in between, too. Right, yeah. And so, I mean, I think back about the people um, who were adults when I was growing up, who were out on the four, you know, they were out in the public eye um, with this kind of information. And I just think, wow, what courageous people they must have been because... Back then, boy, you were immediately labeled a, a fruit or a flake or, you know, crazy person. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> Yeah, I think of the people who were around uh, Jane Roberts when she was channeling Seth. And it was just such a small, very insulated type of group. And there were other groups around, too, at the time. But, yeah, they were very insulated. Nobody really understood them, so they just left them alone, <laughs> more or less. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of it was... So it was there in plain sight when we were kids, but we didn't necessarily know it. But there was such a social stigma around it. There was. It's like, "Mm, don't understand that, so we're not going to get involved. That's Mm -hmm. what they're doing. It's not what the rest of us do. That's those weirdos out in California Uh or wherever, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, So, yeah. Yeah. So you studied... um, You've ended up studying philosophy, psychology... German, and what was the other one? Anthropology. Anthropology. Wow. And then after graduation... I went out to California Mm -hmm. and became a Zen Buddhist. No, no. That's (laughs) Uh what you would think, right? That's what you would think, right? I went out to California and um, to San Francisco. Yeah. The hippy-dippy town. Hippy-dippy town. Yeah, and And you had a friend out there, right? Yeah, yeah. I had a a really good high school friend of mine. who was working for Dolly Laboratories. Yeah. 
out there. Now, and Dolby the sound people? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. That's a dream job. Okay. Yeah. And um, I also had a uh, distant aunt and uncle out there as well. That's right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I went out and um, I applied for uh, a job in psychology that would have worked with um, veterans uh, who were experiencing PTSD. Perfect. That would have been perfect. For that background. Right. Especially since I had been a veteran and I had been in two war zones, Korea and Croatia. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll get to that story in a second. But... um, I, and you had to have a little bit of, you know, knowledge with computers, right? So you had to be comfortable around veterans, understand PTSD, knowledgeable about computers, degree in psychology. I had all of that. Yeah. And I got beat out by um, someone from, with a degree from Harvard. Darn it. Damn Harvard. I said, screw you. (laughs) (laughs) And I went into computers. Because, of course. Because the dot-com was, right, that was right, huge. really starting to kick off. Yeah, and you and were in the right place. I was in the right place. I had known about computers all my life because I just like to fiddle around with them. Well, you had started out your college career like studying that. Do, studying computers. So here I am, right back into computers. And uh, I spent the next 18 years uh, in computers, com- you know, networking, Doing mm-hmm. building uh, you know Cisco networks and yeah and Microsoft server infrastructure and the last eight years of that eighteen I had gotten pulled into the video gaming industry and I ended up um, my career in San Francisco as the head of product development and overall product operations mm-hmm. for Capcom which is a Japanese video game company. See, many people would have said you arrived (laughs) at that point. (laughs) Right. And I had thought so, too. Um, I really did. I thought, oh, man, this is it. This is, you know, where I've been working so hard to get to. Um, And then then my higher self had a different plan. Yeah. 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 How did you know? Well, um, I just started to go crazy. <laughs> literally. <laughs> I literally just started to go crazy. Yeah? I didn't know what was happening at the time. Um, but looking back, I realized I was, you know, having a, an awakening. Mm-hmm. And my energies were just going crazy. And there were oh, yeah. days where I couldn't even think straight. Yeah. And I had no idea what was going on. And I was. Well, yeah, you were completely inauthentic to your higher self. Yeah. And when we're at odds yeah. with that, we do feel a little bit crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I felt, I literally felt like, um, like a drug dealer. How, yeah, tell me more about that feeling. That's interesting. Well, you know, in my eight years in the video game industry, I started to really recognize how powerful video games were as a drug. Oh, yeah. Okay. I get the analogy. Uh-huh. I, you know, there were people that were losing their marriages, losing their jobs, yeah. losing their, their entire livelihood because they were so hooked on these video games that they... Mm-hmm. They couldn't function. Well, it was a reality where they may have felt more comfortable being instead of their own reality mm-hmm. and then were willing to give away their reality to yeah. be in this alternate life. Yeah. 
can see that. And as much as I've always enjoyed video games, I got to a point where I, I would get free video games and I didn't want to give them away to my friends who had children. I didn't want I didn't want to expose their children to video games. Here, would you like to give your child some crack? Right. That's how I felt. And you know, being the head of product operations, I wasn't just like a drug dealer, I was kinda of like the head of our cartel. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. And so I was feeling very inauthentic about that. And um, and uh, I just got to a point where I had to walk away. I, <laughs> I, I went to my CEO one day and I I said, I have to leave. And he was like, what? 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 You know, I was literally quitting a job that no one ever quits. Right. And, you know, it took me six years to get there. Um, most people, it takes 15 plus years to get to that position. To that level, yeah. Some people have worked their entire life in the video game industry and have never gotten to be in that position. Right. And I was doing a mic drop. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when my colleagues found out, they were like, well, where are you going? I said, well, I got to go back to Kansas City. You know, I just, I knew I had to go home. You know, yeah. grew up in Kansas City, and you know my dad was still here at the time, and I just I had to come home, and uh, and they asked, well, what are you gonna do? And I said, I don't know, <laughs> which I did. But it can't be this. But it can't be this, yeah. And it was probably one of the most difficult things I've done in my life because it was really uh, just like, okay, the last eighteen years, I'm just gonna flush down the toilet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that had to feel so conflicting. Mm. Very, very much so, yeah. And that's really even harder because I've been in the same position. It's like where the path ahead of you, you know, is the right way, but everything is telling you, no, that's this, you're being foolish, you're being reckless here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet, you know, I had signs along the way. You know, when I was in Germany, so I'll get back to the, the story. When I was in Germany, I met a group of people that were doing a voluntary social work in Croatia during the war in Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's crazy. You know, who would do that? And the next thing I know, I, you know, have taken a, finished up my year in Germany, um, passed all my exams. I took a semester off of college and um, I bought a, I bought a ticket back and I came back to Germany and I basically signed up to do six months of voluntary service um, in a small town that was in a UN-protected zone Mm -hmm. that was literally split between the Serbs on one side and the Croats and Muslims on the other side. That was the side that I was on. Um, And, you know, there was gunfire and explosions every once in a while. And, um, you know, the fighting, the real fighting had had ended but there was still just like a lot of tension and there had been a lot of deaths on both sides the line had gone back and forth the town was just in shambles and so i got to i got to see firsthand you know just the horrors of war and what it does to a community and what it does to people's spirit and their soul Mm -hmm. and and um and you know we were there trying to help rebuild you know, a school here, a hospital there, uh, you know, just uh, maybe, you know, we had our volunteers were helping um, elderly people that didn't mm-hmm. have anybody to help them, uh, that sort of thing. And so I spent six months doing that. 
And that was when I came back, finished up my degree, and then went out and did computers. Um, so, yeah. yeah, you know, it's, it's, again, it's interesting how the soul struggles, you know. Right. There's a part of us that knows our path. Yeah. And then there's a part of us that just really wants to fit into society and just says, no, you know, I don't know what that was. That was crazy. But I, here's what I need to do. I need to, like you know, get a degree, get an office job, make a lot of money, and then I can be happy. Right. And it just doesn't work out that way. It, it doesn't. It really doesn't. And then having those two feet, you know, two feet on different paths or a foot on diff- two different paths, it'll end up splitting you down the middle one of these days, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if there's yeah. anything that you can take away from this podcast today is, is that, like, um, you've got to follow your your heart. You really have to follow your heart. Um, And you know you feel when it's the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Your brain doesn't, but your heart does. Yeah. Or more importantly, you feel when it's the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. You get that sick feeling in your stomach. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Or you dread each day. and Yeah. So you just kind of up and chucked everything away mm-hmm. and came back to Kansas City. Yeah, and then Now, I, Kansas City is a beautiful place. It's a wonderful oh, yeah. place. I love yeah, I love Kansas City. I love City. Kansas City. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to be relevant. Right? Um and so I I laid on the couch for a long time. <laughs> for about 7 months or something like that. Like right? no kidding, yeah. I went out and I took walks and I visited with friends and whatnot, but um, I really just had no idea. And I then, think that's when I met you was during that period. Yeah, yeah. I let's see. Well, I found uh, so I was even just where I live. Where I live was kind of up to to spirit, right? Right. I, a month before I was moving out of my apartment in in the Bay Area. I had no idea where I was going to live in, in Kansas City. Right. I had not settled that yet. So but you had family here that you I had family here, stay yeah. With. So I get a call from my aunt, and she said, hey, I hear you're coming back to Kansas City. And I said, yeah, yeah. And she's like, well, do you know where you're going to live? And I was like, no, I hadn't really figured that out yet. And she said, well, I'm going to be moving to California, <laughs> but I'm not ready to sell my house. Do you, want to, do you want to rent my house? And I said, well, how much, you know? She told me, and I said, well, that sounds great, and where is it? Well, it's just here in Waldo. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about Waldo. Right. Which is a lovely area. I yeah. mean, but full I didn't disclosure, know it was kind this of, office is in Waldo. Yeah, so. and I, I had no idea that, you know, it was kind of like this hubbub of... It is. It's uh, a hip place to be It's a hip right place now. to be, yeah, of, of forward progressive thinking yeah, and spirituality is. and that stuff. And oh, yeah, very liberal, very progressive, very no, open. Just, spirit just kind of said, here, here you go. Yeah, right? here's the perfect place for you. Well, isn't that funny when when this is the right thing to do, things just open up. Yeah, it, it really, they just really do. And now, if you would have been your thinking mind, your you know, your processing mind, you would have said, oh, well, I don't know, is that, is that very near some of the big corporations? Is that, um, what's the socioeconomic, you know, relevancy of this area? Is it close to, no, no, you just said yes. Yeah, I just said, yeah, that sounds great. And, um, and then three days later, my sister called up and she's a pilot with American Airlines Mm -hmm. And she doesn't live in Kansas City, but she wants to have a crash pad when she comes to visit. So she said, hey, can can I split the rent? 
with you know, and I said, sure. Of course. <laughs> so, That's perfect. And uh and then so I was looking for a place to get my hair cut. And having come from San Francisco, I was very sort of concerned about where am I gonna get my hair cut. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you have to keep up appearances. <laughs> and I found this place called Hagoya, and oh, they yeah. do haircut, yoga, and massage. And I thought, well, any that's got to be my place. Right. Right, haircut, yoga, and massage. I'm like, yeah, I'm going. So I went to Hagoya, and that's where I still go to get my haircut. Great, a lovely place. And through them, I met somebody who tipped me off to Yoga Patch. Yeah, um, I think I know who you're talking about, the massage therapist? Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's so lovely. I know, Onita, she's great. Yeah, Onita's awesome. (laughs) And so, at Yoga Patch, I ran into Dr. Matt Turner. Mm -hmm. He was doing, at that time, a um, every Wednesday night, he was doing a guided meditation. Right. And I thought, oh my God, like, that's exactly what I need, is guided meditation. So... (laughs) I started doing his meditation. One evening, he wasn't having his meditation. I was like, oh, I don't know. So this, this other person comes in, uh, uh, Lisa Hork. She does I Lisa Lola healing. And, nice. And she was asking for Matt. Oh, where's Matt going to be tonight? And I said, oh, he's not doing his guided meditation tonight. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she said, I'm here for the channeling class. <laughs> and you said, what? And I was like, what's that? That sounds weird. What is that? Yeah. Well, I had no idea what it was, but I ended up eventually taking his workshops. Uh, yeah, Dr. Matt, I love him. I've known him forever. I should have him on here. Oh, you should. Yeah. He's just delightful. And he, I had no idea why I was taking these classes. Absolutely none. Right. And so through his workshops... I eventually learned, you know, channeling and energy healing and past life regression um, techniques. And at the end of all of these workshops, this is exactly the same period of time that I was getting my real estate license. Mm-hmm. Which I do real estate as well. <laughs> and See, I, I said it was a journey. Yeah. And so I get done with all of this and everybody's all kind of celebrating. We've, we've completed all these workshops and, and I say, all right, I'm taking off. To go do real estate. And they're like, what? What? (laughs) Well, long story longer. (laughs) Uh, You know, I got to a point where my real estate wasn't going anywhere. And I was Mm -hmm. just stuck in the mud. And I met up with Matt again. He asked me to come in to um, be the recipient of some energy healing for one of his students that was finishing up his level two workshop. Mm -hmm. And I said, sure, I need some energy healing. And he was going, we were all going over the notes afterwards and he was giving her her evaluation and I was giving my, you know, my input and everything. And, um, and he looked at her and he said, well, you are absolutely ready to start your healing business for her. And he looked at me and he said, you both are. Mm-hmm. And I decided at that point, I was kind of like, all right, universe, I get the message. Yep. And as soon as I said yes, um, I got a free table. <laughs> I got some space that opened up for me. Um, like everything just kind of started opening up. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. Right. And a week after I said, yes, I'm going to do the energy healing, I got three real estate contracts signed. 
But things had started moving in a positive way for you, and that was probably a way for the money to come in while you were building your business. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so it's and it's been it's been a very topsy turvy journey since that point. I you know that whole thing opening up to being a healer. I had this giant sense of um, of imposter syndrome. That's it. Oh, yeah. And when I was in corporate, big time. Yeah. Yeah. And I just felt like, who am I to say that I have any kind of, you know, ability to help people heal? You know, from all the crazy stuff that I've gone through in my life. Um, and you know, throughout all these journeys I've been through, yeah, I've been through some crazy stuff. And, you, you have know, been through some crazy stuff. And you know, I've you know had my share of of successes and failures. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you see, I think that makes you very qualified to be a healer because you've taken on all of that energy, you've transformed it, you've moved it within yourself. You can empathize with the client. You know, just the same way that you took on the psychology degree and your ve- your veteran experience to, you know, do the work that you had wanted to do there. So, I mean, it's just, it's synthesizing all of your experiences that just makes you a well-rounded healer. It takes a while to, to like, own that, though. It does. It does. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I had to really uh, process that for a while. Right. So I did, you know, there was a point in time, like the first couple months I was giving away free healings to just to kind of get, yeah, get experience, get absolutely. experience and everything. And I got to a point where I couldn't give healing sessions away. <laughs> and I realized that it was, that it was, you know, I had to work through some things. You mean you couldn't attract people who wanted yeah. to have free healing yeah. sessions? I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't give it away. I couldn't give it away. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Like, I couldn't give it away. <laughs> People value what they well, and I I realized that in. it was you know it was where I was energetically mm-hmm. that I really had to work through some stuff, and yeah. so I went through a whole bunch of stuff for the, like the next six months, um, including you know there were like you know my father died, I had yes. a, I had one of my cats just suddenly drop dead, I had you know it was just a lot of stuff going on that yeah. I had to work through. And then finally, um, just within the last couple of months, I kind of came out the other side of that and sort of, it was after, it was about a year after I had really said, I'm going to do this and the sort of the dust settled Right. and I've really gotten, you know, to where I'm attracting the clients, um, I'm starting to attract the clients that, that really want to work with me. And I've had some really great experiences, and um, I've just really started to drop deeply down into um, that that energy and the experience, and just getting a whole new level of appreciation for not only the the you know the work that I'm doing and and how special that is, but also just kind of like what a privilege it is to do that work. Yeah. It's pretty amazing to live this life every day. And, you know, because when you really connect with somebody at a soul level, it's it's a privilege to share their experience, mm-hmm. to share what they're going through, to, mm-hmm. you know, to really to really feel that on that deep level. It's a privilege. And so, 
yeah, I got, I'm to the point now where I'm like, I can't, I like, I can't not do this. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you talked about things just kind of starting to gel now. We're taping this, we're recording this. Let's see, what is today? August 23rd, mm-hmm. I think, 2018. So the end of the summer, where we've had a lot of planets in retrograde. We've had several eclipses. The energy's been really intense, and now it's starting to clear. Yeah. And so I'm hearing this from a lot of different people that things are starting to come together mm-hmm. after a while. Yeah. Well, although this morning we had kind of... <laughs> that was hilarious. We had a... We had a I did, a Mercury know. retrograde experience when it wasn't Mercury retrograde. Yeah. Are we still in the shadow period? I don't know. Oh, that was hilarious. Um, but things are, yeah, things are moving. Things are starting to settle for a lot of folks. Um, so let's talk a bit about your, your work and, like, what it is you do. I mean, okay, so you channel energy. You heal with energy. So, yeah, what what else can you tell me, tell us about what you do? Yeah, and it's... It's interesting that you asked this question because I have, up until recently, had a really difficult time describing what I do. Ah, oh, you need your elevator speech. Yeah, well, you know, I I would think to myself, well, I have some Reiki training, but I'm not really, I don't really consider myself a Reiki master. I, you know, I do intuitive energy um, and that sort of thing, but it's been as I've really allowed myself to surrender into the experience and not try and control it. Yeah. What I've come to realize is that I'm um, I'm a you know intuitive, empathic energy worker mm-hmm. who works at a at a deep soul level with my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nice part about that is that um, when I'm when I connect with my clients energy they tell me what to do i don't have to try and figure it out i don't have to try and know or guess i mean they definitely Mm -hmm. tell me what's going on what needs to be done and i just follow that i follow their energy and work with it in exactly the way that uh, you know they're asking me to and it's usually at a very deep um soul slash emotional level um and a lot of what I do is, um, as an empathic energy worker, when I connect with their energy, um, I feel what they're feeling, and I hold space for that feeling. I Basically, it's the, I think, the root desire that we all have, which is to be seen. Mm-hmm. To, to, to be for, known. Yeah, to be known and understood at a, at a deep level. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to just connect with them and do that, um, and 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 be with them, you know, in whatever they're feeling, whatever they're they're working their way through, mm-hmm. and that I think is some of the best medicine I've ever seen, because it just really allows people to um, let go of that and process it, mm-hmm. um, because they don't, they've it's been seen, it's been recognized, it's you know the 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 feelings that they're working through, um, they're not alone in their struggles. Right, right. No, and holding space without judgment Mm -hmm. and just letting them feel what they feel and then helping them process it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, without judgment and without, you know, having to even talk them through. You know, there are times Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, a client's been crying on the table and I don't feel the need to say anything. 
Mm-mm. I just I just hold that space, some that presence there, and um, and just let them work their way through it. Absolutely. Yeah. All we can do is release it and allow it to come through. Mm-hmm. Allow that healing. I always tell people, better out than in. As yeah. Shrek always says. Mm-hmm. That's what it just. You come to that point where you're pulling away all the different layers to where they can get at it, like a laundry basket. You know, you can't get to the bottom unless you take off what's on the top. Mm-hmm. And then they can allow that to come through. Mm-hmm. I think that's wonderful. What do you like best about what you do? Well, it's it's definitely the connection when mm-hmm. you know when I get that connection with the people and. Uh, and that's why I said it's it's a privilege to do this work because oh, yeah. it goes both ways. Um, mm-hmm. I get a lot of the same benefits from being connected with somebody at that level. It's just it just reaffirms that we are all connected. We yeah, are all connected. Yes, Nobody's alone. Nobody's you know, um, and so that helps reaffirm. Uh, my own desire to feel connected and to know that there's something more than just myself, you know, bumbling around in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always feel incredibly energized and and happy after, you know, a session, regardless of how long it was or what kind of emotions, you know, we were going through. I mean, there's been times where I've started to cry and, Mm -hmm. and, and so, but I still feel really good after a session because of that, that ability to connect with somebody and just, you know, be with them on that level. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you give it that energy, you get it, it's Mm -hmm. coming through you and it can't help but energize you and clear what needs to be cleared. Yeah. Go where it needs to go. And I think the other thing I like about it is that it's just really helping other people to open up. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started, I had such a fear of telling people that I was an energy worker. I know. It takes a while to kind of come out. And what I've noticed is that every time I'm in a situation where I think, boy, these people are just going to look at me like I'm crazy, it the opposite happens. Mm-hmm. They're interested. They ask questions. You can tell that there that there is a real need out there for um, energy workers and spiritual healers and mm-hmm. empaths and sensitive people. Like there is a growing need for that in our world. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, Doctor Oz said energy healing is the next wave of medicine, the next wave of healing. Mm-hmm. This is from coming from a renowned surgeon. Yeah. You know, I wonder if people look at you and they see a normal guy. Not You don't come off particularly woo-woo, although your T-shirt today says what? Humanity yeah. should be our race, love should be our religion. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're a regular guy, and you were in a regular field for so long, and you have mm-hmm. that kind of real-world grounding. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, people can accept woo-woo things coming from someone who seems so grounded. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, it, you know, it's it's important. It's one of the things that I've learned in this um, journey, this awakening journey, uh, because I did spend a lot of my time um, way up in, in, you know, the clouds. Right. Um, just trying to figure this whole thing out and understand what was going on. And, you know, you kind of keep going up, up, up. And at some point you realize it's not about living up here. 
in the astral realms. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to access that. Absolutely. But, but to live in balance between, you know, being grounded and, and being spiritual and residing in that uh, center space between the two. And, you know, getting really grounded when you need to and getting really spiritual when you need to and knowing sort of when and how to apply uh, those those two different um you know, extremes of the spectrum. Right. To me, in my practice, it's helping people live here where we are Mm -hmm. the best, most whole, most complete way that we can. The spiritual is definitely part of it, but this is where we need to be. Yeah, in the sweet spot. This is where we are. Yeah. In the sweet spot, yeah. Yeah. Because when I was in California, I um, I was, you know, far too much in the groundedness of mm-hmm. work and money and ambition. And there just wasn't any of the spirituality. And, um, and interestingly enough, I had to leave California and come back to Kansas Isn't City. Isn't that interesting? I know yeah. you would think it would be the opposite. Right. Uh, and yet, no, not at all. No, they call Kansas City the heart of the dove. Yeah. They really do. I don't know if you heard of that. There's the, a wonderful center called Heart of the Dove here in Kansas City, right. which is incidentally where I met you. That's right. That's right. A couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Kansas, the Kansas City area is known to be the Heart of the Dove. And there's actually a lot of spiritual leaders here, like mm-hmm. Matt Turner and others. There's uh, Unity um, Worldwide is you know, here in the Kansas City area. Mm-hmm. There's other major religions that have their centers here. Um, so it's it's really a very spiritual place to be, Kansas City. And I never would have thought that even 10 years ago. Yeah, so I'm... It's exploding. So glad that I'm back in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And, and I love Kansas City. And, I you know, I... The, the you know the interesting thing is that when I was leaving California, so almost everyone I knew in California kind of pulled me aside at one point. And they said, "Well, are you going to be okay in Kansas City? Because you know it's you can't it's get a decent as, latte there. It's not as spiritual and you know and liberal as California. And uh, you know California has been on the forefront of you know spiritual stuff for a long time, but and there's a l- lot still going on out there." But Absolutely. the interesting thing is that I know I have a bigger spiritual community here in Kansas City than I did in California. Absolutely. Uh, and what I love about Kansas City is that the spiritual community is very large and everybody knows each other. But Kansas City also has that uh, Midwestern Bible Belty conservative type of thing. And occasionally we kind of come up against it. But it transforms it does, I yeah. think the work that we're doing here is helping mitigate some of that. And, oh, you know, the thing that I love most about Kansas City is just the sort of open, well, it's down-to-earth-ness mm-hmm. that people here just have yeah. like a kind it's of mid- down, down-to-earth, Midwest vibe, you know, vibe down-to-earth, and yet still open-minded. Mm-hmm. You get... It really so you is. get people who you would think would be kind of the most closed-minded people you could ever meet, and it is just wonderfully refreshing and surprising how, like, really curious and open-minded they are. Surprisingly so. Yeah, and I, you know, like Kansas City to me has always kind of been that 
that city where, you know, east meets west. It is. Um, yeah, that's a know. really good way to put it. Because they, and like I was saying, you kind of get this kind of conservative feel, but then you've also got this very open and liberal type of feel in Kansas City. And it's like this Venn diagram yeah. where it, the center is getting bigger and bigger. It is, yeah. It is. You know, some of my clients recently have been coming from very strict religious backgrounds, very strict conservative backgrounds, and they're starting to wake up and be more open to a lot of things, and it's exciting. Or I would even say that they're starting to allow their their curiosity to go out and play again. If it ever had. Yeah. You know, yeah. for the further opening their curiosity for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because all of this is all of this stuff. This our world is out there, but you just do have to kind of be curious to it. Yeah. And there weren't as we talked about the little enclaves, like the people around uh, Jane Roberts and Seth and other little uh, groups like that. Um, there, curio- there was curiosity there, but it wasn't as widespread. I, people are as people are waking up. Their curiosity wakens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and these things they that they know. It's very interesting. Um, so how do you think your work most helps people? Um, ultimately, my goal is to help people wake up to their own sense of spiritual um, embodiment. So yes. I want them to start to become aware of their own energy, their own energy mm-hmm. body, their and how they're their physical body and their emotions and their energy body all work together um, so that they can become more and more self-empowered on just on a, from a day-to-day practice being in touch with themselves, being in touch with their emotions, you know, which, which uh, informs their physical body and then being in touch with their, their spiritual energetic body, which informs their emotions. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. Following that chain through and, and really helping to raise that awareness and, and keep themselves in alignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and just being responsible for their own energy. Mm-hmm. To me, this is, this is in my work, of course, being responsible for their own energy, being responsible for their own experience, being res- responsible for their own thoughts, their own beliefs. I think it's important. And that's, to me, that's part of waking up. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's been said before. Um, uh, that the whole point of magic or, you know, spiritual enlightenment is, uh, self-empowerment and to know that you really have the ability within yourself to completely take care of yourself, uh, and to, you know, to be healthy and to be happy and to, to have the life that you want. Uh, and it's not anything outside of you that is required. Mm-hmm. It's like everything you have is within you. And I mean, gosh, even, you know, Jesus in the Bible said that the kingdom of heaven is within, within you. Mm-hmm. It's been echoed, you know, across all the major religions. Um, maybe not, maybe not preached very often. Right. But it's there. It's, it's always, that's always been the main message of any kind of religion or spirituality is that the power is within you. Right. It may not have been 
preached as often because that takes the power away from the church mm-hmm. and puts it solely within each person. But right. yeah, it is there, and I think people are waking up to that. Yeah, you know, we are very responsible for our own reality and what we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's been really interesting talking with you. Thank you. I, I always have such a good time uh, talking with you. Um, so much, so much there, so much experience and so much different experience. So, yeah, we're here with Dave Witcher, and you practice here in Kansas City at the Yoga Patch currently. Yeah, Yoga Patch, and I also have a space down um, on 151st and Knoll with uh, Lotus Yoga. Yeah. So I have a little, um, I take clients there, take clients at Yoga Patch. Mm-hmm. And so we'll put contact information in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and one more thing uh, before we sign off. We have people who listen from all over, right. all over the world. Can you do what you do remotely? I, I can. Um, I have started doing remote energy sessions. Um, it's just been very recently that I've been doing that. Mm-hmm. But I've had some really good responses from it. So yeah. I'm very open to do that. Uh, you know, as the more you get into the energy work, uh, the more you push push past your um, sort of mental ideas of how it works. And you realize that, you know, there's no real distance. Yeah. <sighs> No, yeah. there's not. We're there's all not. one. We're connected. Yeah. There's so, you know, when you're in your your normal brain that works with time and space, you think, oh, in order to do this, I need to be right next to the person. And so you work with that sort of limitation for a long time or that framework, I'll say. It's, you know, it's kind of like right, having... That idea. It's like having um, the training wheels. Right? <laughs> That's a good way to put it, yeah. And then eventually you realize, oh, yeah, no, that time and space don't matter. It really doesn't. They really don't, yeah. No, I have just as much success with distance as I do in person. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so people can connect with you from wherever they are. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much. It's been so fun talking to you. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, Christy. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. We'll do this again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts.